Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 70 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Terrific to be back. Uh, if you hear that like pounding noise beside, behind me, um, that's, that's a thunderstorm. It is thunderstorming right now in, in Ohio, which I think most of my listeners are in Ohio, so most people will probably know what I'm talking about, but yeah, so just try to listen to the sound of my soothing voice over that terrible thunderstorm. Sounds like it's starting to calm down a little bit, but uh, there's plenty of storm to come, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, the NBA Finals heading to a game six. Um, we've got some NFL news. Uh, just plenty of great stuff going on. I'm going to talk about some MLB today as well. Some French Open tennis. Um, just so much going on. And it looks like I'm going to be running off of no notes today. Actually, never mind. I was going to say because my internet is out. But Google Google Docs has that uh, that like operate offline feature so awesome but anyways uh, the Warriors won game 5 of the NBA finals 106 to 105 um, Kevin Durant did return in that game um, but he re-injured himself a completely separate injury or so people think it's a separate injury um, yeah but Kevin Durant had that calf injury Weeks ago in the Western Conference semifinals against the Houston Rockets in, I think, was game... It was either game five. I think it was game five that he hurt himself. And uh, it was a calf injury, calf strain, whatever they called it. And he they've been pushing back his return basically as long as they haven't needed him. And it turned out that his calf injury was a lot more serious than people let on because he really wasn't cleared to play until... Uh, until game five of the NBA Finals, he played for 11 minutes, had or 11 or 12 minutes, had uh, 11 or 12 points. Really was playing well, played like the best player in the world, and then made one dribble move, one cut, and ruptured his Achilles. And a lot of people know that the the calf and the Achilles are connected. And of and if you watch the slow motion of the video. Uh, up close it looks like his calf like violently contracts and a lot of people think that that's what causes a ruptured Achilles is a violent movement of the calf a violent contraction of that muscle and so he popped his Achilles and now he is going to be out for obviously the rest of the playoffs the rest of the finals and then he's going to be out for probably a year nine to twelve months is usually how long it takes to come back from an Achilles injury depending on the severity. He had a successful surgery, so he's fine. Um, but that's the big debate over the last couple of days is, did the Warriors make the right move in bringing him back? Um, the Warriors, the, the team doctors cleared him. Durant had three separate doctors outside of the organization. Three separate opinions besides the team doctors that all cleared him and all said that he was good to go. His agent said he was good to go. Kevin Durant wanted to play. And I think that this this was just, I don't want to say a fluke, because the two injuries could have been related. 
but you can't really fault anybody here. I think the Warriors did all the right things. Steve Kerr said it today. He, the, they did all the right things. They got all the right opinions from everybody. They, he, he was cleared, and everybody had played a part in the decision, and they made the choice. And he said he wouldn't have handled it any dif- differently. Obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and when you always look back on things, you wish you could change them. And I'm sure had they known that there was going to be an Achilles issue, had they known that this calf injury uh, could potentially cause a ruptured Achilles, they absolutely would have held him out because why a championship is not worth that. Now, for what appeared to just be a calf injury, I yeah, go ahead and play him. But I, I think this was just... Not a not necessarily random occurrence, but it was just unlucky. I think that's the only way you can look at it because Kevin Durant had three different opinions from three separate doctors outside of the of the Golden State organization. And I don't think the Warriors would have done something to put Kevin Durant's career and just overall well being in jeopardy. Playing with a sprained ankle or a sore knee or whatever, like that's players do that all the time. Players want to play because they're competitive, and I think KD wanted to play because that's just how he's made up. That's professional athletes; they want to play. They don't care if they're hurt. I, I just I don't think there was any ill will or ill intent. A lot of people think, well, if you wouldn't have played him in a regular season game, then don't play him in the finals. That doesn't make sense because it's the finals. It's a chance to. To win an NBA championship, and not only just win an NBA championship, three-peat, and win your fourth title in five years. Uh, it's And it's just unfortunate how it, how it played out. I don't think, I really don't think anyone's to blame. I really, uh, I really don't think anyone's to blame. Bob Myers, who's a owner of the team, president of the operations, um, he said if there was anyone to blame blame me because he's the one that runs the operations and he's the one that makes most of the decisions in the organization not necessarily with this but just in general I agree I don't think there is anyone to blame I think everybody did their job everyone did what they were supposed to do and it was just an unfortunate occurrence and unfortunately that's gonna this injury is gonna play not only a major role in the rest of the finals, but it's going to play a major role on free agency and where everyone else goes. I think it's really interesting because not, not only is it going to affect how teams approach Kevin Durant, or maybe it doesn't affect how teams approach, Devin, or approach him, but also can affect KD's decision. And the reason why I think other teams could be pushed off is because obviously he's going to be out a year. He's over 30 years old. And Achilles injury is extremely tough to come back from. Case in point, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, Granted, he's had other injuries, torn quad and other things. But he didn't come back well from that injury. He was okay, but he wasn't Boogie Cousins. Um, so there's obvious, obviously there's a chance that KD is not going to be ins- the same player he was. Now his play style will allow him to still be effective because he's a jump shooter and he's a scorer. He doesn't. I, 
attack the rim. He's not a forceful athletic junkie who is just trying to jump out the gym and posterize people. He he shoots jumpers, fadeaways, post-up game. His play style will allow him to ease back into the game um, when he comes back. Um, and that's why I don't think teams are going to necessarily be pushed off, although they'll have to wait a year. I think teams are still going to be willing to offer him a four-year max um, to ultimately wait a year and then get three years of good Kevin Durant. Um, I would certainly do that. I would eat $30, 35000000 million a year for one year knowing that I was going to get Kevin Durant for three. Um, and it's been said that teams aren't being pushed off by it, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Knicks. Um, now, I, I think the only team that really had a legitimate shot at landing KD was the Knicks. Uh, and the Nets were also thrown in there, but I think that's more Kyrie than KD. Um, it's weird because if you'd asked me a week ago where KD was going to go in free agency, I would have told you he was going to the Knicks. But now with this injury, this new injury, and it's really all making sense now, why would Kevin Durant want to lug himself out to New York where obviously he can't play next year, but the year after... He's got to play 78, 80 games in a weaker Eastern Conference with potentially not another star. Like if they don't trade for Anthony Davis or if they don't land Kyrie uh, or maybe they get Kemba Walker, but Kemba Walker's a tier below Kyrie. Kevin Durant's going to lug himself out and play 80, almost 82 games to, to make the playoffs with his... With the mileage he has on his body and his history of injuries, especially with his calf and now with this Achilles, why would Kevin Durant want to subject himself to playing so much more when he can play on a team that's going to win without him and they'll make the playoffs without him? And if he ever has to sit out at all in the future for load management, rest, whatever it is, he can sit out and know that nine times out of ten, the Warriors are going to win. That's why I think with this injury, it is far more increasingly likely that he's going to stay with the Golden State Warriors. It's just a question now of whether or not he's going to opt into his deal for $31 million, the, the last year of his contract, or he opts out and the Warriors offer him a five-year max. Because it's interesting, the Warriors. It, it never felt like it never felt like Katie was a part of the Warriors. It felt like it was the Warriors and Katie. It seemed like Katie was a rental for, you know, maybe three years, four years, whatever the case may be. But now after this injury, he kind of feels like family. He kind of feels like a real warrior now. You had Steph Curry and Iguodala in the middle of the game. I think both of them were sitting out at the time on the bench, but they walked him to the locker room and they were talking to him and then they went out and played that game for KD and won that thing for KD and now they've got to win the next two games for KD. It really feels like, and it, even, uh, you know, the president of operations, he was crying 
during his press conference. <laughs> I mean, it really feels like now more than ever that KD's a warrior because he seemed like before he was just a, a gun for hire. He was just a guy coming in, doing his job, and getting a couple chips and leaving. He wasn't actually a part of the team. He was just there to help. Kind of like Colin Coward made a reference as like an independent contractor. Hire someone outside the, the corporation to come in, help you out with something, get the job done, and then and then leave. And that's exactly what it's felt like the last couple of years since he arrived in Golden State. But now with this injury, I think the Warriors feel feel they feel bad that they didn't force KD to play. It was obviously a group decision, collective decision, but they feel bad knowing that, you know, they they just took one year of KD's career away from him. And ultimately, they kind of feel responsible for what happened. They feel guilty. And that's why I think... Kevin Durant is going to get the five-year max from the Warriors because now he feels like family. They feel bad. And they're like, you know, this can be their pitch to him. Although I don't think they need to pitch to him, but this can be their pitch. A couple years ago, you needed you needed us to get what you wanted to be in your career. But now we need you. And I think that can be really powerful. I think KD is really close with the guys on the team. I think he's actually close with Steph. I think I think Steph is probably the reason why he left OKC to go to, to Golden State. Part of the way Steph plays, his personality, his his ego. I mean Steph is egoless. Like who wouldn't want to play with a guy like Steph Curry? That's the pitch right there. You're, a couple years ago, you needed us. And now we need you. That's the pitch to Kevin Durant. And I ultimately think that that's what they're going to do. They're going to sign KD to that extension. Um, if he doesn't opt in to the one year left, they'll re-sign Clay. And then I think Draymond will be the expendable one. Um, Draymond will probably... I think Draymond's got a year left on his contract. They won't be able to re-sign him. Unless there's a major cap increase within the next two years. I don't think that that's going to happen. So, really... It's really interesting this week in the NBA... It's different because Kevin Durant, I don't think, is going to go to the Knicks now. Um, which would mean that if he doesn't go to the Knicks, excuse me, then Kyrie's not going to go with him because obviously he's got no one to go with. And I think it's going to make a huge change on free agency. And I think it's going to affect how other stars approach it. 
I think Kawhi's gonna Kawhi's had some injury issues. He's got a quad issue and he sat out twenty games this year with the Raptors and they were still really good. He might be looking at KD's situation and be like, Do I really want to go out to LA with either the Lakers or the Clippers or the Knicks or whatever team? And do I want to play 75, 80 games and put more wear and tear on my body and put on more miles and not even really be in a great position to compete for a championship. Also, you know, you're sacrificing probably more money. It's interesting. I think it's going to make a huge difference on how players approach free agency. I think Jimmy Butler, he's an older player, an older star. He'll probably stay in Philly just seeing that. Uh, Kemba Walker can make so much money with the with the Hornets, it's not even funny. And he might even be compelled to stay with the Hornets, although they're not a very good team. So, it's interesting. I think Durant's going to stay in Golden State. I think Jimmy Butler will stay in Philly. I think Kawhi will stay in Toronto. Kyrie is Kyrie's leaving Boston. He's not going back to Boston. Although I think Boston, they've got a great coaching staff, great young players. It didn't quite work out, but I I think that's a good place for him. I, he's not going to stay. It's either the Lakers or the Nets. He's not going to go to the Knicks. It's either the Lakers or the Nets. He just bought a home in Brooklyn. I don't... I don't know why he he wants to lead a team by himself, but I don't know why he would want to go there, knowing that they're already a playoff team. They they won without him. I don't I don't know why he would want to go there. <sighs> Kyrie's probably the toughest one out of all the free agents to predict. I think Kyrie. Could sign with the Lakers. I'm going to go with that. He'll sign with the LA Lakers. Clay Thompson's going to stay in Golden State. Um, Boogie, he's a wild card. Originally, I thought he was going to go to the Lakers, but they wouldn't be able to pay him a max, obviously, because no one's, no one's going to want to pay him a max. So we'll see about that. And then... Anthony Davis, although he's not a free agent until next year, he's on the trade market. The LA Lakers are going to get Anthony Davis. They're going to trade for Anthony Davis. They'll trade Ingram, Lonzo, the fourth pick. Kuzma's off limits, they said. And the Pelicans want Kuzma. The Pelicans also want a third or fourth team to get involved in the deal to get more assets. I think the Lakers are going to land Anthony Davis. They'll, um, they'll sign... Kyrie and they'll have a they'll have a super team in LA with LeBron and they'll be favored maybe not to win the title but to at least you know be one of the top four teams by the end of the season next year it's going to be really it's going to be a really interesting free agency because I think we're not going to see as much movement as we thought we were going to see the only two players that are really gonna, the only two notable players that are we're gonna see move, are 
Kyrie and Anthony Davis. Those are the only two. Um, and maybe Kemba. The rest, they're all staying put. You can mark it up right now. Um, game six is tonight in Oracle. It's the last game in Oracle Arena, win or lose, uh, before they move to San Francisco. I'm going with the Warriors. Warriors playing uh, with a lot of emotion right now, losing Kevin Durant. Um, they're going to have to give everything they have to to beat this Toronto team because Toronto's been playing really well lately. Kawhi's been tearing up. They've got so much length defensively. It's difficult to to kind of play them. Um, but with the emotion, it being the last game in Oracle, I don't think the Warriors are going to go down lightly. I think Steph's going to have a big game. Clay in Game 6. Remember in Game 6 against the Thunder in 2016, he went off to uh, force a Game 7. So these Warriors know what it's like to play in a Game 7 or a Game 6. Raptors have never even been to the Finals before. So... Look for the Warriors to win this game. I feel confident in that. And really, if you think about it, the Raptors should have won game five. I mean, they were up six with two minutes left. And Nick Nurse calls a timeout and just stops all their momentum. And it allows the Warriors to, to get a blow, get a breather. And Clay hits a three, Steph hits a three, and then Clay hits another three, and that's game. <laughs> That's demoralizing for the Raptors, and I think they're going to be thinking about that going into Game 6, knowing that they could have had it. They were literally wheeling out the champagne, and they had to take it back and put it on ice. That was the magnitude of the situation. They were probably wheeling out the Larry O'Brien trophy as well. And now, if the Warriors win this game tonight, which I think they will, it'll force a Game 7. The Warriors have played in a Game 7 before. In the NBA Finals, they know what they're going to be doing. They they know how to play in a Game Seven. The Raptors don't, and so it's going to be a. It's not going to be a matter of skill or who plays the best or uh, who wants it more. It's who's going to panic first, because. Every possession is important in a Game 7. Who is going to panic first when things start to not go their way? Who will panic first? I think the Raptors will, and that's why I think the Warriors are going to come back and win Game 7 and be three-time defending champs, four-time champs in five years. And they're going to continue this dynasty. All right, so moving on to the NFL. Um, Carson Wentz is the next quarterback off the board to sign a big extension. Um, he uh, He's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. I mean, plain and simple. Um, the only thing with Carson Wentz, my only thing with him is that he is very injury prone and 
very, over the last two seasons, they've had to have Nick Foles come in, work some magic to to get things done. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting how this works out. I think he's definitely worth that kind of money. He's very talented. He's extremely talented. He was almost an MVP a couple years ago before he got hurt. I mean, we'll see how it goes. Uh, this this kind of deal kind of worries me a little bit for um, Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott is looking for a big, big money contract, fourth round pick who's played exceptionally well over three seasons. And he's, you know, he's got the second highest win percentage in the league since he's, since he's coming and that's right behind Tom Brady. So, that's really all you want in your quarterback. You don't need a quarterback to to stuff the stat sheet, throw a ton of touchdowns, throw for a ton of yards. You just need him when the game's on the line to to win it for you. And that's what he's done. He's won games. Um, and that's going to ultimately get him a contract. I don't think he's worth $30 million just from a talent perspective. But if that's what it takes to lock up a quarterback who can play, then I guess you got to do it. So Carson Wentz is kind of setting the bar for some of these younger quarterbacks who are uh, set to get a new deal here soon. Guys like Dak, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, Mahomes, which Mahomes is better than all of them. But yeah, so. And then similarly, on a similar note, um, Jalen Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe of the Jaguars want new deals. And Gokwe is holding out of training camp right now. Um, and Jalen Ramsey, the, he was told by the Jags that he's not going to get a new deal until next season. Like, they're not even going to worry about him this season. So, we'll see. Um, Jalen Ramsey's a guy for the Jags that I would consider trading because he's a hothead. Seems like he talks more than he plays. Um, kind of like the Draymond Green of the NFL, in my opinion. I wouldn't pay Jalen Ramsey. I think he's a really good corner, really talented, one of the best in the league. But you can find corners. It seems like there's a new corner at the top of the league every year. Um, it seems like someone else is the best in the league every year. And so I don't agree with paying corners a ton of money. I, I'm just not a fan of that. Um, but we'll see how the Jaguars approach it within the next um, couple years. And then Yannick Ngakwe, he's a pretty good defensive edge rusher. He's holding out. Edge rushers are far more valuable than corners. I would pay Ngakwe. Um, just depends on what money they have left over after that Nick Foles deal and how they want to build their team going forward. Dallas Keuchel, moving on to the MLB. Dallas Keuchel has finally been signed by an MLB team. Um, it came down to the Atlanta Braves and the New York Yankees. They were... The two leading front runners to land da Dallas Keuchel, who is a star starting pitcher, and he was 
fantastic last year for the Houston Astros. He is signed with the Atlanta Braves for this season, a one-year, $13 million deal. Um, beating out the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees obviously are a really good team, really talented team, one of the better teams right now. Braves are a young, up-and-coming team. They made the playoffs last year. They're even better this year. Uh, they're playing extremely well. And so adding Dallas Keuchel, like the only weakness the Braves have, the Braves have great offensive firepower with Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies. Um, and they've got just great people playing out in the field. But the one area that they lack is pitching. Starting pitching, relieving, and closing, really. Just... They don't have a great bullpen or just a fantastic ace. And Dallas Keuchel provides them with basically, he's basically going to be their ace. He is going to be their best starting pitcher now. Because um, Julio Teron's never been great. He's, he's a good, he's a decent pitcher in certain spots, but he is not as good as he used to be. So Dallas Keuchel is going to provide a much-needed jolt into the starting pitching for the Braves. And so really, the only thing the Braves need now is just some some relief help, um, whether that be via trade or maybe calling some people up from the minors because uh, the Braves have one of the best farm systems in baseball um, and most of their farm system is made up of pitchers. So... They can pull from there. They can make a trade for a veteran pitcher um, just to try to beef up that uh, that bullpen because it's really the only area they lack, and that's the only area that kind of keeps them from going on rolls in the middle of the season. Like They can have a great regular season, and then come September, their pitching really just takes a dive. That's how it, This is how it's been over the last five or ten years, where their pitching just kind of nose dives and along with their offensive production and they just fall apart at the end of the year and if they make the playoffs they make it as a wild card and they get bounced out or they just don't make it at all after being one of the better teams in the league so um Dallas Keuchel is a huge addition he right now he's playing on the the triple a minor league team to just get some reps before he makes it to the majors because obviously he's he hasn't been employed at all this year. He hasn't been playing for a team. Uh, so that's obviously huge for them to get him some reps, get him acclimated to playing baseball again. He had a dominant opening game, pitched seven scoreless innings in his first minor game for the Braves. So uh, it seems like he's already looking good. And then they'll bring him in soon, but... Right now, the Braves are one of the more exciting teams in the league just because of their farm system, what they've been able to produce over the last couple years. Ronald Acuna is an emerging star. Um, they pulled up Austin Riley, and he's been a stud so far. His first 16 games, he had eight home runs. Mike Soroka has been a great starting uh, rookie pitcher for them as well. Just really probably the best farm system in baseball. They've been playing absolutely lights out right now they they just played like it seems like their last like eight or ten games have been against 
the Pittsburgh Pirates. They went to Pittsburgh to play a series there. I think they they only lost one game there, and then they just played like four in a row at home against the Pirates and um, won all four of those. Granted, the Pirates aren't a wonderful team. They're not a fantastic team, but still on a roll right now nonetheless. And I believe they're nine or ten games above 500, so... I'm pretty sure they close out the series against the Bra- or against the Pirates today. And they're going to be taking on the Phillies tomorrow. So they're fighting for that top spot in the NL East. The Braves are 40 and 29 and the Philadelphia Phillies are 38 and 30. So right there with each other and the Braves, like I said, on a roll right now. Um also, this uh, kind of blew my mind the other day. David Ortiz was shot, um, and he had to have surgery. Right now he's stable, which is fantastic, but he was shot, and there was a group of people arrested or detained for their involvement in the shooting. And I believe the, the main uh, perp, was a guy from New Jersey, the New York or New Jersey area, um, which I guess if there was a guy that was going to shoot a uh, shoot David Ortiz, it would be a person from New York because obviously the Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees rivalry. But I mean, like obviously it's a rivalry and stuff, and there's bad blood, but there's no need to be shooting anybody, especially David Ortiz, who's one of the better, the, one of the greatest players of all time. One of the most impactful people, uh, just in general, uh, doesn't make sense. I don't know why, but thankfully he's stable, um, had a good surgery, and hopefully he he gets better soon. Because he's really good when they when they do the uh, playoff. When playoff baseball rolls around and they do um, the the roundtable MLB show with A-Rod, Ortiz, and Kevin Burkhart's on there, uh, it's a good show. So, um, But recapping the French Open for some tennis, um, I talked about it in the last episode, previewing the quarterfinal and the semifinal rounds. Um, on the women's side, my prediction came true. Ashley Barty did win the French Open. And she defeated Marketa Vondrasova in straight sets. Ashley Barty had a heck of a tournament. And she's one of the better up-and-coming players for women's tennis. I'm really excited about women's tennis right now and just tennis in general. Um, because we've got a lot of young up- up-and-coming players that are making an impact and they're giving a lot of these hall of fame level players uh runs for their money so um but she defeated Vondrasova in straight sets claims her first french open title and then on the men's side my prediction was almost almost true i i knew there was no way Federer Roger Federer was going to get past Rafael Nadal on clay i thought maybe he'd be able to take a set if he was lucky, maybe you force it to four. And if you're really lucky, get it to a fifth set and just see where it goes. But 
it really wasn't close. It's not that Roger Federer played bad. He play, he played well. It's just that Rafael Nadal is just a whole other animal on clay. Unbeatable. The greatest clay court player in history. He claims his... Uh, well, I almost spoiled it there. So he, he beat Ro- Roger Federer. Dominic team defeated Novak Djokovic like I thought he would. That was a five-set match. And that set up the Team-Nadal final like I predicted. And I predicted Team would upset Nadal. And I was wrong. Uh, Dominic Team lost to Nadal in four sets. So it was still semi, kind of close. Um, but Rafael Nadal won his 12th French Open title, which is incredible. Um, like I said, greatest clay court player ever. One of the best players in general ever. Probably the second greatest player of all time behind Roger. And he won his 18th major, which is second in uh, men's history behind Roger Federer, who has 20. Um, I mean, he's won the French 12 times, man. That's just crazy. He's won Wimbledon twice. Um... And then he's obviously won the Australian and the U.S. Uh, a couple times. So just really one of the better players in our history. And we had the big three in the in the semifinals once again, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. Um, three, Probably the three greatest players of all time, especially at their respective surfaces, Roger on grass, Nadal on clay, and Djokovic on the hard court. Those are the three best players on those surfaces all time. Um, It's just crazy how dominant Nadal has been on clay. Because it seems like during the hard court season, or maybe even grass, whenever he loses a match, it's just like, oh, maybe Nadal... You know, because he's got a very aggressive play style. He plays every point like it's his last, and that's obviously respectable, and I admire that about him. But it seems like whenever he loses a match, people question whether or not he has it anymore. Is his play style catching up to him? or the injuries catching up to him? And then as soon as he touches that clay court surface, man, he just absolutely dominates, just shreds everybody. And that's... Really the same story with Federer on grass and Djokovic on the hard court, um, depending on the year. So it's just crazy how good these players are as Rodgers getting closer to 40, Nadal is getting closer to 35, and Djokovic is on the younger side of 30. So, I mean, crazy how good these guys still are with all this young talent coming in and, and making an, an impact and making their mark. And that's the same with the women too. I mean, Serena Williams is still really good, but she got knocked out early in the French Naomi Osaka. She is one of the, she's the best player in the world right now. She got knocked out early. It just shows that, you know, tennis is getting better and better uh, by the major. A new player comes in and shocks the world. Like Ashley Barty has been playing phenomenal. Um, it's just so many great players and it's nice to see different players in the final of of a major besides your Rodgers and Djokovic's and Nadal's and, and guys like that although we love 
seeing our our guys those guys in there just because they're different animals when they get to those finals but it's always nice to see a different different face every now and then uh, but coming up is grass court season the french open marked the end of clay court season so grass court season is coming up and which obviously means wimbledon and if you haven't checked out on my youtube channel which i haven't posted a video in a while it's because i the la i was going to have a video for the last episode and when i recorded it something happened with the audio and it wasn't good and i couldn't fix it so um couldn't get a, get a video out but anyways i have a wimbledon video on there from school i made that for school for a class project Talks a little bit about the history of Wimbledon, how it's evolved over the years, its customs, traditions, and just why that tournament is the most prestigious in tennis and really one of the most prestigious in sports. Um, so check that out if you haven't already. Um, that's on my YouTube channel. Just search Will Ford, the Will Ford Show. Um, but yeah, with with grass court season coming up, uh, there. Are uh, we got Stuttgart, the uh, men's grass tournament that's been playing, that's uh, being played right now, um, and then there's obviously one being played in Britain for the women. So uh, it's my favorite time of year as far as tennis goes, just because I love Wimbledon. I love watching Wimbledon. Um, I think the favorite, obviously, going into Wimbledon, which will be coming up soon, um, is Djokovic because he won it last year. Um, Roger Federer had a great tournament. Didn't drop a set, actually, until he lost to Kevin Anderson in the semis. Or no. Yeah, it would have been in the semifinals. No, actually, the quarterfinals. He lost in the quarterfinals to Kevin Anderson. Um, so, Roger on grass as well. Nadal. Andy Murray is supposed to be returning for what could be his final major of his career. Um, just because he's had so many injuries, has uh, had a grueling hip issue that he's had to have surgery on, grind the bone down and get rid of that pain. And that just makes my freaking body hurt just thinking about it, like I'm squirming in my chair. But yeah, so it's going to be really exciting. I'm really excited for Andy Murray. Just I want him to close it out on a high note, even if he doesn't win. You know, maybe at least get to the quarters or the semis or something and put on a good show. And and if that is, in fact, his last tournament, just just put on a show for everybody and, and go out on a high note. So definitely excited and looking forward to, um, to that coming up here within the next month as we enter grass court season. Um, but... Another thing that's going on right now is the Women's World Cup. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team defeated Thailand in their opening match 13-0. to um, That's crazy to say the least. Um, like 13-0 is unreal. Um, but it was, it was interesting because I was reading a lot of stuff afterwards and people were saying that, you know, the... The U.S. women shouldn't have cheered so much when they were after they were up by so many, and they should have maybe um, let their foot off the gas, been more sportsmanlike, whatever. 
um, and all that jazz. Number one, people who think that they should have taken their foot off the gas, absolutely not. I'm never a fan of that, um, really at, at all. Um, in in general with any sport, but when it comes to the World Cup, it's not about just winning matches. Obviously, if you win, that's helpful, but it's also about point differential, score, scoring goals, and scoring 13 goals, having a 13 to nothing game. That is huge for the Women's World Cup. That can make a huge difference in uh, in the tournament and just how things shake out. Like, it's a point system and doesn't go just off of wins and losses and, and draws. You you go off of the the point differential, how many goals you score, how many goals you hold the other team to. Um, like so to say that they should have taken their foot off the gas, absolutely not, because you do not understand how um, how soccer works and how the World Cup works. Um and I'm not a huge soccer guy. I'm not going to sit here and know and tell you that I know everything about soccer. I used to play soccer when I was a kid. But like I don't watch soccer when it's just like the MLS or just like regular season play, exhibitions, whatever. Like I don't I don't watch it much for that, but when the World Cup comes around and stuff like that for both the men and the women, uh, I get I get into it a little bit and I I follow it. I may not be watching every match, um, but I'm definitely following it. I'm seeing what's going on, and because it, it just interests me, it's really interesting. Um, if we're looking at, let's see, this was yesterday. Just some of the matches from yesterday. Well, we'll go to the first day. We'll look at the all three match days. So, obviously, the U.S. beat Thailand thirteen nothing. Um, Sweden beat Chile 2-0, the Netherlands beat New Zealand 1-0, Canada beat Cameroon 1-0, um, Japan and Argentina drawed at 0, England beat Scotland 2-1, Brazil beat Jamaica 3-0, Italy beat Australia 2-1, Norway beat Nigeria 3-0, Spain beat South Africa 3-1, Germany beat China 1-0, and France beat South Korea 4-0. So that's even huge too, having a 4-0 game. Uh, France over South Korea. That's huge in the the point system for the tournament as well. Um, if we're looking at um, day two of the matches yesterday, Nigeria beat South Korea two nothing. Germany beat Spain one nothing. France beat Norway two one. Australia beat Brazil three two. And China beat South Africa one nothing. Um, and then we've got a ton of games, or a ton of matches, excuse me, going on tomorrow starting at 9 a.m. Um, we'll have Japan taking on Scotland, Jamaica taking on Italy, England taking on Argentina, the Netherlands taking on Cameroon, Canada taking on New Zealand, Sweden taking on Thailand, and the United States taking on Chile. So obviously I'm going to be tuning in. Well, I work tomorrow from 10 to 3, but... I'll be following the United States against Chile and seeing how that match goes. And then day three 
uh, of matches. It's going to be on Monday and Tuesday. Actually, not it's not just day three. It's match day three is going to be played over uh, all next week, pretty much. And those matchups are set, but we won't worry about those. Um, but I will be looking to tune in to the United States taking on Chile tomorrow at noon. Actually, that's not tomorrow. That's on Sunday. Whoopsie-daisy. I do still work on Sunday. I thought that was tomorrow, though, when I saw it. Um, my bad. Reading things wrong. But anyways, yeah. Like, that. that's the thing. Is I, going back to what I was saying earlier, like, you don't want to take your foot off the gas pedal because the point differential means so much in the World Cup. And and about the sportsmanship thing, um, the cheering so much after every goal, like, that's what you do in soccer is you cheer after every goal. And I don't know, maybe you should have been, I guess, a little more res re respectful, I guess. I mean, I don't know, like... It's exciting. It's the World Cup. Like, if it had this been a ball, had the ball been on the other foot and the United States had gotten beat 13 nothing, we'd still be uh, bad. We would still have something bad to say about them. We'd say, oh, they have all that talent. How come they lost 13 nothing? Um, but instead they won, and now we're talking to them about their sportsmanship. I think it's just really nitpicky and it's annoying. And. People just need to be excited for women's soccer. Uh, I don't know. So someone's always got to complain about something nowadays. It's really kind of ridiculous. But uh, game six tonight: Warriors Raptors. I got the Warriors. Um, Going to be a really emotional night. Katie playing or not playing would would be the final game in Oracle Arena. He's going to be out for at least the next 9 to 12 months with that Achilles injury. I think the Warriors riding on all that emotion and a little bit of momentum from Game 5. They'll take Game 6. It'll be a close one, but they'll take Game 6. Move on to Game 7, where panic will set in for the Raptors because they've never been in this situation before. And they will lose, and the Warriors will complete only the second 3-1 comeback in NBA Finals history. The first done by the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Warriors back in 2016. So I'll be watching tonight, and I will react to the game afterwards. Maybe we'll do a little Twitter live, or maybe I'll just post a video on Twitter or something like that. So, But anyways, that's it for episode 70. Uh, follow the show on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. Follow me on SoundCloud. Um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Will Ford Show, Will Ford. And we'll see you guys in episode 71. It's WFS.